Welcome into another episode of a Cali Green Monster show. I am your host, Dean Ryan, coming to you here from the Tesla Studios in not so sunny, but a soggy, beautiful San Diego. It is Thursday, April 22nd, 2021. Regular listeners of the show know that this podcast usually is published every weekday. However, if you came looking to your device or coming checking to a Cali Green Monsters Facebook page or website, and we're expecting a show on Wednesday, April 21st, there was none, and there was a reason for that. I just didn't record a show that day or yesterday. And, you know, because as I've mentioned many a times on many a show before, that this is a sports and sometimes stuff podcast. Most days I have stuff that I just got to get off my chest and use this platform and share with everybody. But yesterday, you know, after an epic 420 special and, you know, a couple good episodes, I felt like back to back to back, you know, I felt like there wasn't much on the docket to talk about and rather than force some content I figured I would take the day off come back with you a hard-hitting episode today and believe me it's a hard-hitting episode I'm going to definitely try to navigate the choppy waters of the topic that I am going to cover today you know but I figure moving ahead over the next couple days there's going to be a lot of things happening that there's going to be a lot of content for me to cover you know tomorrow not only is there a new episode of the mighty ducks there is the debut episode or of the movie mortal Kombat, which i'm fucking so stoked for it's going to be on hbo max so i'm definitely going to watch and cover that on the show at some point there's a big ufc the ufc is going to return to full arenas at Jacksonville on Saturday, so there's three title fights, so I'm definitely going to cover that as well, so we've got a lot of things lined up, so there's possible that I might have a, you know, an episode that might come this weekend, like there was on Sunday when I recorded with Wade Willis, when we covered the Ben Askren and Jake Paul fight, so you can go back a couple episodes if you want to catch that, I think that's a Cali Green Monster Show episode number 73, so... You know, let's just dig into it. So I figure before I start this topic, I'll preface it with two things. So one, it's always a tragedy when someone loses their life, especially when they lose their life early. You know, I don't think the goal in any situation or altercation, you know, whether it's cops or anybody is that, you know, the result being a loss of life so you know i just want to preface that it's 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 a tragedy when any anytime someone loses their life and i also want to preface that you know i'm going to be talking about lebron james and i'm someone who considers himself a lebron james fan like i'm a big lebron james fan i think he's the best basketball player of all time even better than michael jordan and you know i'm a laker fan so i'm just gonna you know kind of throw that out there you know but yesterday i felt like lebron james he you know, it, it, it's all over Sports Center, and it's kind of like the big news if you talk about LeBron James is that, you know, yesterday in response to the shooting of Makia Bryant, you know, the 16-year-old that was killed in Columbus, LeBron James, you know, sent out a tweet that I felt like, you know, was very irresponsible and definitely in a day and age when we're talking about words that can elicit violence. I feel like LeBron James definitely did kind of cross that line. So to kind of give context of what I'm talking about is, you know, LeBron James is responding to, you know, Makia Bryant, 16-year-old girl that was shot and killed by police in Columbus, Ohio. And Columbus is, I think it's like, you know, 
a hundred or so miles away from his hometown of Akron. So I'm sure that there's like a sense of, you know, community there from LeBron that might make him be a little bit more passionate about the subject, you know, but upon seeing the video and the video that I've seen is, you know, a cop arrives at the scene and there's, you know, there's kind of a lot of, there's some people out in the front of the yard of this house and a, a woman attacks another female and, you know, knocks her to the ground and then she proceeds to turn around and attack another female who's back up against a car. And, you know, it looks like the cop, he has his gun drawn. And I think he's asking to, or like shouting to stop or drop the knife or something. I forget what the cop's like saying, but it's basically, you know, don't attack a motherfucker with a knife. And literally she's like in mid, about to mid stab this lady and the cop shoots this Makia Bryant four times and immediately after they shoots her you know someone off to the side was like dude she was only 16 like you didn't have to shoot her but the cop responds like dude she was about to stab that person so it's like you definitely it's a it's a fucked up situation you know because either way you slice it there was probably going to be a result of a loss of life there because it's tragic a 16 year old girl getting shot and killed but it's not just a 16-year-old girl who's just minding her business. You know, the cops arrived there because they got a 911 call about, you know, someone assaulting somebody. And then when they got to the scene, there was someone with a steak knife or a kitchen knife about to stab somebody. So there's only one of two things that can happen there. It's like the cop doesn't shoot her, and now she does stab this person. And maybe she stabs more people. Like if the cop tries to subdue you know, this Makia Bryant without using a gun or whatever, there's risk that he gets stabbed. And what if he doesn't go home to his family? You know, I'm sure he has a family. Maybe he has a wife. Maybe he has kids, you know? So it's like, okay, we're, we're not going to use force and potentially innocent people are now going to get hurt. It's literally the law in this country that police officers have the right to use deadly force when their lives or in other innocent people's lives are in danger. And I felt like that was definitely a situation. And obviously people are going to have their own opinions and I think people have the right to their opinions in that you know I'm sharing my opinion on that like I felt like it was definitely a justified thing for the cop I don't know you know especially someone who isn't a cop and hasn't been thrown in a situation like that I think it's hard to say oh well you know did he have to shoot her in the back like could he have shot her in the leg or something to subdue and my thing is like I feel like in, in real life, people aren't James Bond or like John Wayne who have expert shots with a pistol. You have a split second to do something like that. And I feel like the officer did what he had to do. He was doing his job. Being a police officer is probably one of the hardest jobs you have to do where like every day you're going to work. And there's a potential that you might be in a fucked up situation like that, that you might have to deal with gunfire. You know, the cops have you know, guns at their hip, but I'm sure every day they're, they're leaving and hoping that they don't have to discharge them like that. At least that's my belief. You know, I think the media and a lot of people would like you to believe otherwise, but considering that I feel like there's thousands and thousands of interactions between cops and police every day or police and civilians every single day. And we do see, you know, the worst of these interactions and it's terrible, but like, I think it's irresponsible to paint the narrative that cops are, you know, or that most cops or all cops are the bad people in the scenario. I'm just saying personally, I'd rather be in a neighborhood or a city that does have a cop present than doesn't, or, you know, and that might be my white privilege speaking. And that is fucked up that in this country, you know, I'd have to say when talking about cops, it's white privilege, but 
you know, I mean, but at the same time, you know, I grew up, you know, I remember my dad telling me like, Hey, I'm a white guy. Like my, both my parents are French Canadian. I'm as white as it can be. But I remember my dad saying, if you ever get pulled over by a cop, you keep your hands on the steering wheel. Don't ever like keep like have them out of sight. Like you never want to run into a cop who's having a shit day. And you know, my wife had told me like, isn't that fucked up that your dad had to tell you like, you have to completely behave with the cops or at risk of being in danger. And it's like, that is, but like, that's just the reality. It really is. You know, there's some countries where the cops pull you over and you have to worry that, you know, you, that they're not going to try to shake you down for money or they're just going to take you to jail for no fucking reason. So like, you know, there's a lot of things we got to fix, but you know, I feel like in that situation yesterday, the cop did hit the job like that he you know had to do and he was trying to protect and serve so then that's why i think it's very irresponsible of lebron james to tweet out not only a picture of this cop which is fucked up because i think that's considered doxing but he in the tweet there was you know it was him saying you're next with the hashtag accountability and like an hourglass almost like you know it's i don't know how that tweet can be taken as not trying to incite violence. You know, LeBron James has almost 50 million Twitter followers. You know, that's that's a lot of people that that reached to. And, you know, there's a lot of people that, like, of course, that'll probably just, like, you know, the normal person sees that and not, isn't going to do anything. You know, but there's some mentally ill people out there that see a tweet like that and you might see it as a call to action. You know, I mean... He deleted his tweet and sent out fault, you know, follow up tweets and, you know, trying to explain himself. And let's see, I think I have, I have them. So it's like LeBron followed it up with anger. Does any of us any good? And that includes myself gathering all the facts and educating does though. My anger still is here for what happened to that little girl. My sympathy for her family and may justice prevail. I'm so damn tired of seeing black people killed by police. I took the tweet down because it's being used to create more hate. This isn't about one officer. It's about the entire system. And they always use our words to create more racism. I'm so, oh, I'm so desperate for more accountability. And, you know, I'm with LeBron James that there's obviously things in the system that need to be fixed. And, you know, when he's going out and saying that it's not about just one officer. Sure, I, you know, I respect that. But the thing is, you put the picture of that one officer out there and said, you're next. There was no, like, overall arching of, like, police. It was literally one officer. And I feel like that was extremely irresponsible. And, you know, it was smart of him to take it down. But the thing is, I don't get, you know, the damage is done. It's already out there. That's the headline on SportsCenter last night. That's the one today. You know, if you just type in LeBron James in Google, all the stories are going to be about it. And, you know, I just feel like, you know, the first time he used that hashtag accountability was when the verdict of the Derek Chauvin case, you know, was read. And I felt like that was the right use of it. You know, justice was served. Derek Chauvin, in my opinion, as many, most people, I think, that saw the video of George Floyd and what he did to George Floyd by kneeling on his neck for over nine minutes, you know, he murdered that man. And it was glad that justice was served and accountability was served. But it's like, you know, context is key, LeBron. And, you know, what happens if, like, this cop does get murdered and, you know, 
whoever does it is like, well, LeBron James, like, I mean, he's calling for it. I mean, we literally just tried to impeach Donald Trump because of tweets that he said that he elicited violence. I mean, I'm not trying to say that LeBron James has the as much influence as the president of the United States, but he does have a lot of influence. You know, anyone with tens of millions of Twitter followers has the potential to reach a couple psychopaths, you know. So it's just kind of weird where, you know, LeBron James can say this and get away with it. And I'm not sure if he really is getting away with it because of such the blowback that he got, you know. But it's kind of similar to, you know, a couple of days ago, Maxine Waters, you know, she said comments that I felt like, we're also, you know, when we're talking about in terms of eliciting violence, you know, in terms of the Chauvin trial, like in talking about like wanting a guilty verdict, you know, she was saying as quote, we're looking for a guilty verdict and we're looking to see if all of this that took place has been taking place after they saw what happened to George Floyd. And we've got to be more active. We've got to be more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they know we mean business. And I mean, it's like I don't know how if we're going to like compare some of the stuff that Trump was tweeting about that you know they a lot of the Democrats and put him on the impeachment trial for saying hey you elicited the Capitol riots and the insurrection that took place in January and but then to look at Maxine Waters you know calls for being more confrontational and to make sure that the streets are still shut down and that they mean business that this it that doesn't you know mean the same thing and I was also reading that apparently that when Maxine Waters made those comments, the jurors hadn't been, you know, started their deliberation on what the, they're going <clears> to <throat> determine what the verdict was going to be. So there's a potential that there could be a mistrial from, you know, from what I read. Hey, I'm not a lawyer or a real legal analyst, but I mean, that would be a real, you know, just even more like irresponsible with the words. Like we're literally as a country celebrating that this, you know, that this bad go- cop got his comeuppance and he got what he deserved and he's going to jail but you know can you imagine now that you know with this speech that she did that could cause a mistrial and now you know the justice that we're all so happy that was served could potentially get you know taken away now I know that LeBron at the end of the day probably say that when he tweeted out the you're next he's probably meant in reference to how Derek Chauvin was put on trial and now it's going to go away for a while, you know, but I mean, just with how Donald Trump's tweets could have been ambiguous on whether he was calling for actual violence or, you know, he was being, you know, metabolic or whatever. LeBron James, I feel like you could do the same thing with his tweets and the things that Maxine Waters said. So, you know, I feel like there needs to be a little bit more consistency in the media with, with, you know, how we're judging people and judging what people are saying, because it seems like some people are getting, you know, getting canceled and getting, you know, the heat put on them where some people it's just they can say, you know, what I feel like equally damaging things and get away scot-free. So, you know, I'm I'm just like I said, many to many a time, I'm just a dude with a microphone in his car. I did my best to navigate that. I would love to hear back on, you know, your opinions on the matter. You can leave your comments in the you know, Cali Green Monster Facebook page. You know, I'm on Twitter at Cali Green Monster or at Dean Ryan, one of the two. 
you know, if you if you look up either or, the Cali Green Monster logo will be in the profile picture. So that's how you know you're tweeting to the right asshole. So, yeah. But I figure, you know, that's not the only thing I'll cover on today's topic. There was something else that kind of happened this week that, you know, I'm going to try to make sure this is another one of those where I'm going to try to make sure I, you know, don't say too much. Because at the end of the day, it involves my old fraternity in college and part of being in a fraternity is a brotherhood and there's certain secrets that you keep so I feel like talking about what I'm about to talk about doesn't constitute as revealing any house secrets or anything like that so earlier in the week I got word that my fraternity at the school I went to is going to be suspended from all activities for the next eight years so it wouldn't be until the end of the 2020s that they'll actually be have the opportunity to even be an active participant in IFC. So, you know, that's obviously devastating to a lot of us alumni. And through a lot of the Facebook group, you're, you know, you've seen a lot of the alumni giving the active members grief. And I couldn't help but think that, you know, because I'm not here to say whether or not I think they should have been suspended or not or on probation. In my eye, unless someone actually got hurt, or like something like like really criminal happened, you know, at the end of the day, they're just too frat for that school, in my opinion. But, you know, I just thought it was also, I guess what I'm here to talk about is a lot of the actives just you know, acting like, oh, you fucking assholes, I can't believe it, blah, blah, blah. When I feel like, dude, let's be real, any one of us could are lucky that something like that, we didn't get kicked off campus while we were active. You know, I was part of the fraternity. I lived in the house from fall of 2008, moved out in spring of 2012. And I think that entire time I was there, we were on either suspension or probation for half that time. And I think for three separate occasions. So, I mean, I could have very well been responsible for, you know, getting the house kicked off campus for the better part of a decade and I think anyone that was a part of the fraternity over those four years you know you guys could have been you know just as equally in the doghouse as these dudes right now you're just you know it's just to happen if we got lucky let's be real I don't know what happened since after I moved out of the house in spring 2012 but I just assumed that I could share the story of the last time my fraternity got kicked off or suspended just because I felt like I played a real central role in that one. And I think the overarching story or moral of the story is that guys who are 18 to 22 years old are fucking stupid. And sometimes we just want to party and have a good time, man. So this was fall of 2011 and I was actually a part of the executive board and I was what you would call the sergeant of arms. And that's basically the security of the fraternity and making sure that, you know, all the fraternity rules and guidelines are being followed. And not just the fraternity ones, but, you know, the, the, the guidelines that the school set forth, the IFC set forth to make sure that, you know, your fraternity stays in good standing and doesn't get in trouble. So I had that responsibility. I don't know at the time why I thought that I would be the best guy for that. I think I might have been like on a nice like straight edge um, part of my 
collegiate career when I ran for it, and then maybe I kind of got a, became a little bit of a degenerate um, during my term as the sergeant of arms. Still got good grades no matter what, but you know I think that there was a you know there was ups and downs in my partying, and I think that when the this event happened, I was definitely in full party mode. So not only was I the sergeant of arms, you know, for security and stuff, I was also in charge of one of the biggest rush events of the fall that was on friday that was our glow party so that's where we put up like a black paper and stuff over all the walls and ceiling like spray paint it with a bunch of like you know glow in the dark and neon paint and stuff and basically have a mini you know what's supposed to be dry non-alcoholic little you know, I guess rave club scene and slight detour from the story. Well, I guess this is all still part of the story. You know, since I was in charge of doing that, I waited to the last possible second to try to find black paper just because I assumed that I could just go to like a party store or like a, you know, Staples or something and buy like, you know, big rolls of black paper. Apparently, dude, big rolls of black paper are way hard to find. So I had to do the next best thing, which was go to Home Depot and get a bunch of roofing paper. And because I, I, that's what I was told that they've done in the past. But I must have gotten like thick ass roofing paper because it was heavy. And I remember by the end of the party, it was like starting to kind of peel off the walls. There was like zero insulation or ventilation. So it was super hot by the end. It kind of stunk because, you know, I think that roofing paper is supposed to be used outside. So it definitely, it wasn't the best, but you know, it was a fucking rager from what I remember. So, you know, it wasn't the best wallpaper, but it worked. And so basically this is supposed to be a dry rush event. And they were telling us before the rush event that there was going to be IFC police coming through. And I don't know if at 21 years old, you just think, ah, dude, nothing's going to fucking happen to us. We're told totally chill. Like I just like told people to drink in their rooms I was drinking in my room, you know, we had, it was just awesome. I remember, I think that the president at the time was, wasn't at the house. So like, you know, it was me and someone else that was kind of like in charge of everything. And yeah, like about halfway through the event, shit, man, IFC police showed up. Someone came and got me and they're like, Dean, dude, IFC police are here. And I remember just like going up like, hey, I'm Dean Perus. I'm the Sergeant of Arms. I'm in charge. And I'm like, all boozed up basically screaming in this dude's face so he could smell that obviously i'm boozed up and i'm giving this dude my name and you know there was another wing of the house that obviously reeked of the marijuana and that's obviously not supposed to be a thing and it was super stinky so i think there was another one of my brothers that kind of gave his name and was obviously super buzzing with to the ifc police so you know we were we were pretty fucked after that. Like, you know, it was like clear as day, you know, a couple of us gave our names, you know, we reeked up booze. You know, I think we were just lucky that some of the people, you know, were veterans of the situation and you had to keep the doors locked and not open it to expose all the parties that were going on in all the bedrooms. So basically what was started out as an awesome rush and I felt like we were going to get an awesome rush class that fall we immediately got put on probation slash suspension and there were risk of taking our charter and kicking us off campus luckily you know we had you know an awesome alumni <clears throat> like guy that was in charge of you know being kind of like our liaison between the school and our national headquarter fraternity Basically, it was kind of one of those as long as like me and the guy that, 
you know, we're all boozed up and yelling at the IFC dudes. Um, as long as we weren't part of the new executive board and showed that we did a complete revamp and change of culture that we'd be allowed to stay. So that was definitely, I feel like a situation of like, well, my fraternity was lucky to still be a thing at that school after that case. So I'm definitely not going to stand on my soapbox with these actives that are there that are experiencing one of the shittiest moments of their young life because, you know, dude, losing your fraternity, that's a bummer, man. It, it meant a lot when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. That was some of the best years of my life. You know, but at the end of the day, you know, I would tell these dudes to keep their head up. They've learned a lot of values from the fraternity. They've met a lot of lifetime bonds and friendships with the dudes that they've met while their time in the house. And at the end of the day, you're supposed to be at college to get that degree and move on to bigger and better things. So with all these dudes, as far as my knowledge, none of them were kicked out of school. So they can still do that. It's like focus on that. And let's be real, you know, eight years of suspension. No one there should hopefully be there in eight years. You know, hopefully there's no Van Wilders, you know, but when the fraternity comes back, a lot of the active members there, you'll be alumni just like me. I'm 31. It's crazy how fast time flies after college. So honestly, eight years is going to fly like that. And then you'll get to be the old alumni that gets to chase his, his glory days by being involved with the fraternity and going to golf tournaments and stuff like that. So, you know, at the end of the day, active members that are going through this shit. It fucking sucks. Bad luck. Bad break. Just remember, you're probably too fucking frat for that school. And alumni... Dean, just relax. We were all degenerates at one time, too, and shit could have happened to us. So, you know, with that, that's been a Cali Green Monster show. I appreciate everyone that takes the time to download and listen to this podcast. So if you enjoy the show, be a friend, tell a friend. If not, you could just pretend you never listened to the show and mosey on with your day. But until next time, I have been your host, Dean Ryan. Coming to you from the Tesla Studios here in a soggy San Diego, California. Have a great one, guys. Peace.